This is our Christmas Sunday. Can you believe we're five days off of Christmas? How many of you are freaking out right about now? You're going, wow, I have, yeah, there's the hands already. I am not ready, but I am so glad you're here. If you're visiting and you're on vacation already, welcome to the area. It's so good to have you at Portico. If you're online and joining us or you're in the chapel or over in Video Cafe, we welcome you as well. One church, one message, many expressions. And this morning as we're in live, I want to invite you to take your Bibles out. And if you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real high. And we have Bibles that you can borrow this morning. And so keep your hand up. Our ushers are going to take care of that. The other venues, they'll get you covered as well this morning. You can go to our church app. And if you get our church app, you can actually not only follow along the reading, you can take notes and fill them in today. And we'd encourage you to do that because it's a great way for us to stay connected. Well, this is our series. It's called The Stars of Christmas, and we've been looking at messages, and if you've missed a few of them over the past couple weeks, please make sure you go back. Great messages through the series, and each one of the pastors that have been communicating uh, just brought us some wonderful insights into the story. Now, before I jump into this, how many of you have taken a picture on the red carpet as part of the Stars of Christmas display? That's it? Listen, I got a deal for you today. Are you you with me right now? I got a deal for you. Pastor Amitab has agreed to do individual pictures with you. So if you would like a Christmas gift with Pastor Amitab and a jester hat, you go to the Stars of Christmas display area, take a picture, give it to your family. They will thank you profusely for doing that. And so that's my payback. He often gets me in the announcement time at the end of the service. And so today, your chance to get a picture in the red carpet. Well, let's jump right in. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about a person of interest. Luke chapter 2, and while you're turning there, i got a question. Now, today we got uh, all of our kids are in the room with us. This is family day, and our three services, our, our families are going to be in the room. So, kids, I need you to cover your ears. By the way, Mom and Dad, the little handouts at the door, those were for your kids, not for you. So no coloring and no filling in the little blanks while we're going through. Let your kids do that. But here's a question as we head into the Christmas season. Is Santa Claus real... Or imaginary? Now, I didn't say one way or the other yet, right? Because I don't want to get in trouble here. But is he real or imaginary? Now, if you had asked me that as a child, I don't know that I could have given you a clear, precise answer. Because growing up, there was just this little bit of image that was always allowed, a little bit of mystery was given into the children's world that you could dream about, you could write a letter to Santa Claus, and often you would go, I'm not sure whether he's real or imaginary. One of the reasons in my world, uh, particularly, is because on Christmas morning, we would get up and there would be a gift under the tree from Santa, and it was amazing. It seemed like he always knew exactly what we wanted. Now, it maybe was because we would visit Santa at Wolco, Woolworths, Eaton's, Hudson's Bay, you know, until he got really smart and centralized in the middle of the mall, we went everywhere to talk to Santa. So he seemed to get it right. But I also have to tell you, as a child, I was a little disappointed with him. You know, not because of the big belly and the red suit and the beard and all that kind of stuff. I was a little disappointed because occasionally he'd put a tag on my gift that would say to Doug, and then he would put the name of a brother or two brothers on. I had to share my gift. I'd go, that's not fair. That's not a good Santa. And sometimes it included my sister. Now, boys and girls, come on. Don't share toys together, right? This is not the way to go. So growing up, I had this, you know, uncertainty. Here's what I could tell you for certain. I didn't know if he's real or imaginary, but he was certainly a person of interest. 
Someone that needed to be reckoned with. You know, when we were growing up, uh, that was part of our experience. And Laura and I, as our son Kyle, we raised our son Kyle. Some of you would know that in the ministry, pastoring a church like this, we often don't get to go home for Christmas. So uh, Laura was mentioning the other day, in uh, 30-some years of ministry, I think we've been home three times to be with family for Christmas. So when we did get home, those were very special times. And there was one year in particular... Our son Kyle had, uh, he was just six years old. He just turned six years old. And we went to visit Laura's family in Edmonton out in Alberta. Now, my father-in-law, my father-in-law is not your typical Santa. He is not big and jolly and bearded. He is Scottish and thin and kind of brawny. And so when we got there, one of the traditions in the family is he loved to dress up like Santa Claus. I found out he's an imposter. But anyhow, I reconciled that. So he would dress up like Santa Claus on Christmas morning and he would put on the red suit and the hat and the whole deal. And then he'd grab one of those brass bells and he would run through the house ringing the bell. It was his job to wake everybody up. He'd go, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Rather annoying to be truthful. But anyhow, that was his tradition. So he'd run through the house and he'd wake everybody up and we'd get together and have Christmas. Well, my son was raised in our home. There's three of us. Calm peace collected. This was chaotic, confusing, and loud. And he was upstairs sleeping. He was out like a rock. So my father-in-law makes his way up the stairs, ringing this brass bell. Nothing. Nothing was stirring that boy. He was, he was gone. So he opens the door to his bedroom. And Laura and I had gone in, because we wanted to be part of the whole deal. And my father-in-law flips on the lights, rings the bell, you know, ho, ho, well, how to freak a kid right out at Christmas time and traumatize him for life, right? Kyle pushes up against the headboard, pulls the blankets up around him. We're, we're next to him on the bed. And his eyes, you know, he's shielding his eyes because he's temporarily got light blindness and he's squinting and rubbing his eyes. And we're, and we're doing the whole parenting. Hey, Kyle, Kyle, who do you think that is? Who do you think that is? And he's doing his best to get his mind firing up the right way. And he goes, I, I think it's Santa, but why is he wearing grandpa's slippers? <laughs> I'm still paying for his therapy. I'm telling you. Totally ruined him. Is he real or imaginary? Interesting. Is Jesus real or imaginary? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? See, in the context of faith and life and church, the longer we travel with the story, we become comfortable with it. But in the greater context of the world in which we live, the story of Jesus and the story of Santa sometimes get lost and shared in the same kind of thought waves. And yet this morning, what I would do is I would take you back into Luke chapter 2 for just a moment, and I want you to contemplate who this other person of interest is. The reaction to his arrival was far more polarizing than an obese, white-haired, bearded man dressed in a red suit. Born in a manger, he is the story of mystery, marvel, murder, and magnificence. He was born into relative obscurity. He was born outside the realm of royalty. He was wrapped in modest strips of cloth. His birth would shock and inspire. It would polarize, intrigue. It would irritate. It would galvanize. Within the first few short years of his life, a time when most infants are coddled, caressed, and adored, this child would agitate the political powers of the land, would captivate the attention of scholars and mystics, would attract the wonder of the discouraged, the neglected, and the destitute, and would engender the worship of shepherds, peasants, and princes. Praised by prophets, he was scorned by the skeptics. Even today, mention his name, and it evokes deep emotions. 
It brings expressions of adoration and it brings expressions of anger. It evokes powerful reactions and it commands the attention of the world for certainly he is a person of interest. He is, and I believe he always will be, the ultimate person of interest. His name is Jesus and this is his story, Luke chapter 2, 25. Would you read with me? There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, and coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He was a person of interest. His life started in the most remarkable fashion. It garnered the attention of the ancient Near Eastern world. His story is the perfect story for the storyline of a person of interest episode. In Israel, all hope is vanquished. They are in destitute situations longing for God to do something to restore the promise of peace and hope and redemption. 400 years. If you're new to the Bible, you're new to the story. 400 years, God's voice has fallen silent. They were still doing the routines of worship. The temple practice was still engaged. People were offering sacrifices, and the incense was arising to God. But 400 years, no voice. No one had not heard the voice of God. Now imagine in our context what that would be like. Sometimes it's hard to go back and really appreciate the context of a story because we read it in the context of history, and we assume emotion and feeling, but we're void of the true reality of what it was like. So if this had been our story today, what would it be like for us to have been longing for 400 years for God to have spoken to us? I thought about it for a few moments, and I went back to look at a little time in history in the century of the 1600s. What would it have been like to be here during the 1600s and then have the voice of God fall silent over our nation and our world? For that was the century in which Samuel de Champlain would establish the French colony of Quebec, when the pilgrims would land at Plymouth Rock, when the British Empire would be embroiled in a civil war, when the Taj Mahal would be completed, when the Ming Dynasty would come to an end, when Galileo would peer through his telescope and see the moons of Jupiter for the first time, the Great Plague and the Great Fire in London, Peter the Great would be Tsar in Russia, and God no longer spoke. And for 400 years, 
we wait. See, it's different when you think of it in that context, isn't it? Because for these people, the longing was palpable. The desire for God to answer was strong. The need for a redeemer was present all around them. And enter Simeon. Interesting in Luke chapter 2 that Luke would in his story tell us about two individuals, Simeon and Anna. Simeon, the Bible says, hears the voice of God. You've read that. You heard it this morning. But I don't know that we really appreciate it. What would it be like for Simeon in that moment to go, who was that? Who, who spoke to me? Oh, the Torah was there. The reading was there. The strength of his word was in front of him. But to have an, inter, an inner awareness, an inner nudging, an inner whisper that is unmistakably greater than any human could be. And Simeon goes, who spoke to me? But something within him marked it so clearly that this was God. Regardless of how, we know what he knew, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God had spoken to him and promised him, there is a person of interest for whom you have been waiting. Simeon, I love this, with your eyes you will see him. No, no, Simeon, you're not just going to hear about him. You will see the redemption of Israel, the hope that you have been waiting for. So day after day, walk with Simeon as he makes his way to the temple court. And imagine what it must have been like for him. Day after day, making his way into the temple grounds, looking across into the court of the Gentiles, then looking over towards the temple mountain, the holy place, and the holy of holies, seeing smoke arise from the offering and the incense, and looking at the people in the courtyard and wondering, could it be today? Could it be today that I will see him? At the end of the day, making his way home, disappointed but still certain that something was transpiring. Day after day, each day would pass as it had been the day before. Routine worshipers, priests, clusters of people milling around the portico. Good name, isn't it? Portico. Clusters of people milling around the portico. And one day, he saw them. It wasn't the air of aristocracy or royalty that captured his attention. In fact, it might have been just that stamp of commonality and ordinariness, but there was a couple, an ordinary common couple, but in their hands they held an extraordinary child. And the Spirit of God within him said, walk up to that family. And as we read, the Bible tells us that Simeon takes this child, this infant child, into his arms, and he begins to bless this child. And his words are the most unusual if we were to read them carefully, because his words are not the typical accolades that one would give to a newborn infant and parents. Not about how riveting his eyes are, or how chiseled his looks are, or how he carries the feature of his parents, but rather his words reveal something about this child that would absolutely change the course of humanity, that this child was the most unusual and yet the most significant person of interest the world would ever set their eyes on. And out of this moment would come three very, very significant effects. If you want to take notes, you can take notes. It's in the app. There's an insert in your bulletin. But I want you to think carefully about what Simeon says and the effect of this child on our world because of his arrival. The first was this. 
Simeon begins to prophesy, and he goes, some, some will be irritated by this child. Rather strange words of a blessing. Can you imagine to be Mary and having this strange man walk up to you and full of excitement and anticipation, babbling about something that God, the Spirit of the Lord has told me all about your child. I've been waiting for you guys to get here. And he picks this child up in his arms and he holds this child in his arms. And what does he begin to do? He goes, oh, this child is going to cause some incredibly devastating feelings in people's hearts. This child is going to be a watershed experience. There will be no quasi-indifference for people. They were going to have to choose For the very person and presence of Jesus will be the source of irritation for many. It's in your notes, Luke chapter 2, verse 34. When Simeon blessed them, he said to his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and he will be a sign that will be spoken against. That's not what a mother typically is looking for in the first appearance of their child to be blessed. Can you imagine if you bring your child for baby dedication and I hold your child in my arms and I go, this child is going to be an irritant. (laughs) Wonderful way just to engender all kinds of love and appreciation. Yet Simeon holding this child, compelled by the Spirit, had to speak out prophetically what he knew to be true, that this was the most unusual child. Mary, you need to know. Joseph, you need to know. And it wouldn't take long for this prophecy to come true. For King Herod, the one who reigned over Israel with such ruthless insecurity, this was a man who was willing to eliminate any potential threat from within his own family. He would murder his sons if his throne was at risk. He certainly would not give any second thought to a peasant child. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, the truth comes out. When the Magi appeared to King Herod and they told him about a star that appeared in the east, look what it says. When King Herod heard this, and what did he hear? Where is he born king of the Jews? When he heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. A watershed moment. There is no indifference. There is a moment of reaction. And notice the ripple effect from Herod. When Herod is upset, everybody in Jerusalem was upset. Wherever he went, he spread that sense of fear and unsettledness. And if there was a peasant child who had captured the attention of Eastern kings and mystics, then I will do everything in my power, for this child has irritated and challenged my leadership. It would be at his command that armed forces would sweep across the region of Bethlehem, and the most unspeakable atrocity would be sanctioned in the guise of national security. It needs to be done. Herod allowed his personal irritation to blind him to the very grandeur of God's most promising invitation. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? That Jesus can prompt and elicit such strong reactions from people. What is it about Jesus that is a source of irritation for so many people today? What is it about his name that creates these watershed moments? Is it our personal insecurity? Is it the perceived threat to our independence? Is it the fear and the uncertainty of the implication of what does this mean for my life and I'm fine with my life? Don't step into my world. All we know is Simeon prophesied that this person of interest would be a source of irritation. And have you noticed? It's still coming true. Even today. People struggle and chafe at the name of Jesus. When you mix feelings of emotions and insecurity and intimidation and certainty 
little wonder that you have these harsh outbursts, feelings of anger and angst with Jesus. For he will cause the falling of many, and a sword would pierce Mary's soul. But it wouldn't just be irritation that Simeon prophesied about. Holding that child, go back to that temple moment for a minute. Speaking to Mary, he goes, Mary, you need to understand. Joseph, you need to understand. This is no ordinary child. Now they knew. They knew. They had angelic visits. That's kind of a little tip right there. But they didn't know the scope and the sweep of impact that was going to take place. And it wasn't just going to be irritation, but there would be this element of intrigue, if you want to put that in your notes. Some would be deeply intrigued by who this baby was, who this infant was. Who is this child that God would break the chasm of silence, that he would light up the cosmos with such wonder and declaration to announce the arrival of Jesus? So think about a couple of people today. There was Anna, the prophet, who was at the Temple Mount. The Bible is very specific about this woman. It said she had been married for seven years. Husband died. She was widowed. And then for the next 84 years, she continuously went back to the temple. She worshipped. She prayed. She fasted. She waited. She worshipped. She prayed. She fasted. She waited. Interesting, grammatically in here, there is the possibility that the age of 84 was not merely her age at the time of Jesus, but it could have been 84 years since her husband died, making her a very, very old woman. Regardless, there is this woman on the Temple Mount, and here is Anna. Now again, I wish somehow we could put this narrative into the bigger set of a a story or a movie context, and her eyes are scanning, and the Spirit of the Lord within her is stirring her that what you've been waiting for, what you've been fasting for, what you've been praying for, what you've been longing for, Anna, it's coming. He's coming. And as she steps into that temple mount, she notices a man holding an infant child and two people beside him, a mother and a father. And again, within her, the Spirit of the Lord speaks. Go up to them. Go up to them and see what this is. That is the call of intrigue that causes you to step out and to look and wonder at what takes place. Look at it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 38. It says that Anna, coming up to them at that very moment, what does she do? She bursts out giving thanks to God, and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Can you imagine how chaotic this must have been? She goes up, and she looks into the face of this infant child, and knowing that this is the one that God has promised, all of a sudden she turns around, and anybody who would listen to her, I mean, it's like, a brand new mom. You pull out the pictures and you pull all the pictures out and show everybody. And Anna turns around and she goes, anybody who was moving in the temple ground, this is the child. This is a child. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And she draws attention back into Christ. It's the intrigue of who Jesus is that pulls her into the story. The same is true with the wise men, isn't it? You think about the, the Magi's reaction. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in your notes, it said, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, at the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked this question. Where is the one who was born, king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These were those who studied the celestial realm. Strange cosmic activity. Was it a supernova? Was it planetary alignment? Was it supernatural activity that caused a star to appear in the sky? Do you know what it was? Come next Sunday, we have an answer for you. Joe Amaral will be here. What was that? The charts of observance, the sign was a noteworthy. The star was the most unusual and appeared in the sky enough 
to cause intrigue that they were willing to travel a distance to be there. Something of such prominence, of such potential, that could draw from deep within their spirits the intrigue to say, let's go and see what this is all about. Now, friends, let's be honest. They weren't going to jump in their SUV, fire up their satellite navigation, plug their iPod or iPhone into the system, put their panoramic sunroof out and get their cooled and heated seats and go, let's go for a road trip. That's not what they were traveling. That's not the story that we have here. Think about it this way. They were on camels and dust storms and sweltering heat, frigid cold exposure to the elements. They had bandits and harshness and the wilderness. But intrigue is a powerful motivator when you want to know who the person of interest is. Why is it that the name of Jesus elicits such deep intrigue in the hearts and minds of people? Could it be that there is something within us that we understand? It's what the Bible talks about, that the seed of eternity has been deposited into the spirit of all men. We know there's something much bigger than our own individual lives. We may react to the story of Christmas, but I think every individual who walks the face of the earth knows that there are implications of life's deeper questions that we need to wrestle with. It's when we're alone. It's when we have the quietness of our mind and our spirit that these questions of, who am I? Not what family am I in and not what career am I engaged in, but who am I? Intrigued by the handiwork of someone whose design is much greater than mine, that my life and my thoughts and my body and my function and all of it mixed together, this wonderful mystery of humanity, we go, who am I and who created me? And it's the question of eternity that gives us intrigue about why am I here? What is my purpose? Is it just to work, to live, to eat, and to die? Why is it that I'm so different from others? And yet, why am I so similar to others? What gives me my personality and my uniqueness? And what gives them their personality and uniqueness? What blends us together with a common trait? And it's those questions, those seeds of eternity that drive intrigue deep into our spirits. And the question that goes even deeper is, and what's my destiny? Is there more to my life than what I see? Is there something beyond the headstone? When I visit a friend's funeral, what is on the other side? These are the questions of intrigue that all trace back to one very, very, very special person of interest. And Anna and the wise men allowed intrigue to move them towards a very important journey, and it's called investigation. And there are some who would investigate who this child is. Now, Simeon is the perfect example Stirred by the Spirit of the Lord, we read his story. He had cherished the stories and legends of old. He had contemplated the promise of prophets and seers. And he chose to believe. He chose to believe that one day something very spectacular would occur. Luke 2.27, it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Powerful statement right there. Moved by the Spirit. That means that there was a longing and an anticipation. There was an openness. We've talked about this. Pastor Jeff mentioned this even when it comes to the realm of faith, that trust is a disposition of our heart, and faith is when trust is put into action. And if you look at it again, moved by the Spirit is the disposition of trust, and he went is faith putting trust in action. He was willing to investigate, to go, who could it be 
that is going to change the very course of my life. And it wasn't just Simeon. Look at the story of the shepherds tied all together, bringing into this beautiful harmony, this wonderful poetry in motion. Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says, When the angels had left the shepherds on that Bethlehem hillside and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has told us about. Notice carefully what the Lord has told us about. Trust is a disposition of the heart. They, they believed God's word, but then they put faith to it, and they said, let us go and see, let us investigate, let us move towards and discover who this Christ is. Amazing opportunity at Christmas. Many times we show up at events, we come to services, we gather together, we'll be part of family gatherings, and we won't really think to the deep, deeper levels of what is represented in the moment. You might even be here this morning, you might be listening to me online, or maybe you're just following from one of our venues. And I talk about Christ, and you see the reflections of whether it's irritation or intrigue or possibly even this whole area of investigation. We keep everything at a distance. But I want you to think very carefully about the impact this person of interest has had on our world. According to Luke 2, 30 to 32, it says this, For my eyes... Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon knew something was going on. When he investigated and he saw this child, all of a sudden the the Holy Spirit made it so real in his heart. He knew this was God's promise. Here was redemption. This was the restoration. Herein, this child would be the forgiveness of sins, the repairing of a relationship with our Heavenly Father, the thing that every one of us longs for, whether we recognize it or not, a relationship with the one who created us. And here it is, the light of salvation before him. So my question to you this morning would be this. Do you know who the real person of interest is this Christmas? Do you know? Now, before we shout out Jesus, could I suggest the answer is you? You. Yes, Jesus is unique, and he certainly is worthy of the conversation. But you are the unique person of interest whom God has had his eye on all along. For God so loved the world... So God so loved the world. Take the world out for a moment. For God so loved you that he gave his son. What is Christmas all about? Why is it that Jesus irritates and intrigues and some will investigate? It's because God's love would not be constrained. It would be released to the world so that you, so that I could understand the greatest gift that I could ever have. According to John, he said to all who would receive him, To those who would believe in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or a human's decision, but born of the Spirit. So this Christmas, my challenge to all of us would be, understand, understand this person of interest very carefully. But recognize the reason that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he was resurrected by the power of God, that he ascended into heaven. Recognize the reason that he did this so that you individually could experience the wonder of the gift of Christ and restored relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now that's Christmas. 
And some 2,000 years ago, when it all started to take place, God was sending a message that here today, in 2015, we might understand the true joy to the world comes through Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Pray with me. Father, this morning, we pause to thank you for Jesus Christ. On this Christmas Sunday, as we prepare for gathering together in homes and celebrations, there's going to be parties and there's going to be traveling. But through it all, we don't want to lose sight of the reason for Christmas so that we might individually have a personal relationship with you. And we can easily see all around us. We see people, when you mention the name of Jesus, they're irritated. And some are intrigued and curious. And I think all of us could probably even identify people who personally have investigated and responded to the person of Christ. But I pray for everybody listening to my voice and watching me today that not one of us would leave this moment where your spirit is speaking to us in the same way you spoke to Simeon and to Anna. And you said, come and see. Come and see. And today by simply inviting Jesus to be Lord of our lives, to forgive our sins, to have a relationship with you, we can experience the very reason for which we were created, to be your sons and your daughters, to be children of God. So I pray for everyone that's listening to me. I pray that deep in their hearts, today would be a day to say yes to Jesus, to allow you to be Lord of their life, to take control, to lead and give direction. We don't need to do anything. It's all been done. That's the wonder of this person. He did it all, and that's your grace. As your eyes are closed, and you're just taking a moment, can I just challenge you, if you're in the room today, and you've never said yes to Jesus, that today is the perfect day for you to be able to do that. That on this Christmas Sunday, 2015, it's not by raising a hand, it's not by walking to the front. There's no action you need to do. It just says you need to believe in your heart. And then just speak it with your mouth. Jesus, come into my life. And by doing that, the Bible says he does. And we become his children. So today, would you pray that as I close this prayer? So, Father, thank you. I believe that there are men and women and children, young adults today, that are saying yes to you. A few moments, they'll stop at the yes station out back, and we'll help them with the next steps. But the most important part of this is what they're doing right here, because this is the gift of Christmas. So thank you for your grace, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.